The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. What's up, fam? This is Jay from Push Black, and welcome to Season 4 of Black History Year. Now, for about two years, y'all have been rocking with the show. You've heard from folks you probably won't find in the mainstream media. Explored the histories that influenced the very way we move today. And you've looked at what all this information means in the context of your life. So we thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to support the work. But I gotta warn you, you ain't seen nothing yet. This season, we're bringing you the guests who can help us unlearn the myths about who we are, where we're from, and where we're going. So make sure you tell your folks that we're back. Now let's get to it. Coming up, we'll sit down with Queen Quet. Queen Quet is the chiefest and head of state for the Gullah Geechee Nation. With her commitment to preservation, this award-winning artifice founded the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, an organization advocating for the continuation of the culture. She's also a directorate member of the International Human Rights Association for American Minorities and represented the Gullah Geechee Nation at the UN Forum on Minority Rights. With her knowledge, love of her people, and decades-long dedication to her homeland and the motherland, Queen Quet is the perfect person to explore the elements of West African spirituality still present in Black America today and help us understand the cultural significance of the color blue. It was hard to miss the house at the end of the street. There among the white, yellow, and red brick houses, it stood out like a perfectly color-coordinated beacon. Its blue porch, blue shutters, and blue front door were complemented by a tree hung with blue bottles. While the color helped protect against pesky summer insects and kept the house cooler in the summer, there was something else special about this manor. The shade of blue that adorned it had a rich history that stretches all the way to West Africa, and it binds us together as a people. So what's the real story? And how does this tradition tie American descendants of slavery to their West African ancestors? 
In the 18th century, indigo plants produced a highly coveted dye that drove the economy of the American colonies. Preference for valuable blue dye also drove white people to commit heinous atrocities against our ancestors in their efforts to harvest, produce, and sell indigo for profit. That same indigo protects our families against what colonizers called haints or evil spirits. By creating illusions of uncrossable ocean waters or endless expanses of sky, indigo was our protector. And now, down south houses, porches, and ceilings proudly display this spiritual blue color. Today, we begin with the blue house at the end of the street and challenge ourselves to go beyond the bounds of space and time to a place within us that inherently understands our kinship to our West African ancestors. The connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like anxiety, relationships, or big life transitions. You can also specify preferences around gender, race, faith, and more to help you find someone who's more likely to understand where you're coming from. Alma also makes it easy for therapists to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of providers in their directory accept insurance for sessions, so you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash not just anyone. Queen Quet, what does Black liberation look like to you? Black liberation looks like the continued ownership of property by my people so that they can be an example to other people of African descent, not only in the United States, but around the world. Because once you have land, you are a leader. You can liberate yourself, especially if that land is viable land and which you can protect your food security. And if you live on an island like I do, then you can also have an opportunity to be able to navigate literally the waters in ways that can be efficient to you continuing your food security, but also in terms of moving about and continuing a legacy that we've always had. And many people don't address the fact that Africans were navigating the world before other folks got lost and found North America and that kind of thing. Um, and so it definitely speaks volumes to our science, our ability, and our sustainability and continuation of cultural traditions. So tell us a bit more about how the work you do leads to that vision of Black liberation. Wow, I love that question because in the 40 plus years that I've been doing this work, not too many people have asked me about my vision of Black liberation. And the work that I've done in particular through my organization, the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, which will turn 25 in December, we have always focused on ensuring that there was Black economic empowerment so that that way people could be self-sufficient. And we've always spoken out 
overtly, proudly, out loud, in person, about being people that celebrate who we be, as we would say, being Africans who celebrate us and that want to support us economically. And that would go out to events, to businesses, to various things that are going on that help to uplift African people around the world. So the work that I've done through the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition is an outgrowth of the work I did in the organization I had in the Northeast, which was called the African Cultural Arts Network. That organization took people to various places that they didn't realize our story was still in existence. And many times we will go to cities, we'll go to festivals and things like that, but we would go when it wasn't some festive event going on so that we could actually find those businesses, those communities and learn about the legacy from the people who are the descendants or the ones who created our story in those places and spaces. And the unfortunate reality was I've been to all 50 states in the United States now and was about to complete all seven continents before the pandemic. The unfortunate reality is that most of the time when I've journeyed that way, I haven't run into masses of us. We've had many of these places and spaces to ourselves or, you know, a handful of local folks that are there and they're surprised to know you're there and you're another Black person that wants to know how to support them. But we will not have liberation until we have that kind of global unity and we invest in it financially. So the big components seem to be the economic components and the cultural components with this Pan-African mindset. Um, Absolutely. That's amazing. But I'm interested if you could share an overview of who are the Gullah Geechee people and how they came to be in the United States. When hundred the Yeti people are cracking teeth like Adisha and things like that, there's plenty of time people are Yeti that say, hmm? And people are stunned when they usually encounter one of us speaking our native tongue, which is the Gullah language. Because more often than not, people have never heard of Gullah Geechee people. Do you consider the Gullah Geechee people an ethnic group? Yes, we are an ethnic group. Mm -hmm. Okay. But we have existed from the 1500s on islands in the Atlantic Ocean that are from Jacksonville, North Carolina to Jacksonville, Florida. And then an area that you often will read about called the Low Country, which goes from that edge of the islands inland 35 miles to the St. John's River. So we are not only descendants of various African people, Ibo, Mandinka, Malinke, Yoruba, Gola, Gizi, Mendi, Temni, Fiki, Bibio, and a whole slate of others. We are also descendants of indigenous people, such as the Kusabo, the Emesidia, Disto, that were already here on these sea islands. So myself and many other native Gullah Geechis who can trace back their ancestry, at least into the 1600s when chattel enslavement started, they also usually have some indigenous person somewhere in those great grandparents lineup of folks. And I have them on both sides. And so we are those who still there. And as I always tell people, we the binya and we in the guayna, we tall, tall. You mentioned a couple of the things that you are, are doing, but I'd like to dive in a bit more there. There's two specific things that come to mind. One, for Push Black, we wrote a story in the past couple of years that's been very popular about this color that some people know as 
paint blue, and some people say it's to ward off evil spirits, and that's mm-hmm. something that the Gullah Geechee people believe, and it's on the houses. But um, I've, I've seen a video um, of you talking about this in a different okay. way, so I'd love for you to speak on that and clarify you know, what the roots are as you understand them and to set the record straight. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to set the record straight on the color blue in terms of the spirituality of the Gullah Geechee Nation. The color blue derives from that chattel enslavement working in indigo blue as much as it derives from the fact that indigo was brought over to where the sea islands are by way of the Caribbean. But this is something that we know came there by way of Mother Africa. So numerous ones of our ancestors worked in indigo for themselves before being kidnapped and brought in. But they also continued this in chattel enslavement because indigo was one of the three cash crops. We had Carolina gold, rice, and we had cotton, sea island cotton, long staple cotton. Who's going to wear white all the time? Cotton grows in white until people started making hybrids in more recent times where you can grow some of it in color. So our ancestors worked in blue all the time. They had access to indigo blue all the time. We had no such thing as haint blue. This terminology, haint blue, I came to know it because Anglo people called it that because a haint is a spirit. So in order to ward off these negative spirits called haints, they started calling the blue that they saw painted around people's windows and doorposts as a haint blue. But that is not the reason that the majority of Gullah Geechee people use blue. It is a spiritual color for us, especially when we are using indigo and white. So in respect to my ancestors, And I'm a scientist in terms of accuracy. There is indigo blue. Now, we have had a company start to exploit the whole haint blue thing. And I'm fine with them using haint blue to call their color of paint that they now sell to people in the world haint blue because it does not look the same tone as indigo blue. So they can go do whatever they can do with that. God bless them if that wards off evil from their house prayer wards it off a little faster, but um, but it's definitely not what we use um, in that respect. And so I've heard a lot of socioanthropologists ask about this, but more than that, it's every year around Halloween that someone wants to now make this some type of spooky, mystical thing. So therefore they bastardize the reality of what our ancestors were doing what they utilized and what was available for them in their space, whether they were in the motherland or here where the motherland's roots grew up from this soil and went into our souls. So we are indigo souls. We don't deal with negativity. We don't deal with evil. And that's the thing that most native Gullah Geechis try to ward off at any time in any way possible. Our spirituality, there were massive attempts to take it from us. It succeeded in yes. many ways. And in other ways, you know, we were able to hold on to it low key. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm interested in understanding what you're able to share about spiritual practices of the Gullah Geechee people and how they may connect to other spiritual practices that folks who aren't Gullah Geechee but are Black folks um, have mm-hmm. but don't even realize came from the motherland. 
Oh, yes. There's so many things that we would be here for a year and we ain't going to spend that much time on this show um, to really get into that. But the critical thing is one of the first aspects of connecting with Gullah Geechee's and a spiritual practice, one would say, would be if Hona Yeti we would this year. Which people call a polyrhythm or a Sea Islands clap. That becomes the base, and, and I mean base, B A S E and B A S S, of actually the spiritual rhythm that evolves then. And then people will go into trance, people will speak in tongues, people will have a number of different things invoked within their spirit if it is real. And I have to point out if it is real, because I have seen so much mimicry now, it is insane. I have seen what we call ring play, which means that someone is simply dressing in costume and they're doing this dance and they're using our clap and they're using one of the spirituals, which the spirituals, most Black folks know the spirituals around the world now, but don't realize they come from the Gullah Geechee Nation. In fact, the first ones codified come from my home island, St. Helena Island here in South Carolina. And so then they spread around the world. But as they spread, they're not articulated in Gullah anymore. They're not even articulated in Geechee anymore. They're anglicized. Um, a prime example has been Fish Jubilee Singers taking the spirituals and then anglicizing them because it was for performance. It was to then raise money. Well, people are doing that now with the ring shout. When you see someone performing it on television, that's not, or coming to a festival and you see people doing that, that's not a ring shout. It's what you call a ring play. But what has happened is that people have always sought to commodify the African in every way possible. So even with our spirituality, people only accept it if it is dressed up and packaged in a way that generally is palatable to the West. It has to be something that can be boxed off, that can be interpreted. If you've listened to Lauren Hill when she was unplugged, she talked about having God trapped in a box. That is what people are searching for whenever they start asking me questions about Gullah Geechee's and our spirituality. And so I have gone to various places that people would say are outside the Christian realm where people practice what we now call African traditional spiritual practices. Some have names and some do not. And found a lot more similarities with what was being done. Heard this same rhythm on the drum head. Heard that same rhythm with a tambourine. Heard that same rhythm with a stamping stick or rain stick. We use a stamping stick on our praise house floors. Now I'm seeing that our praise houses, literally a praise house from St. Helena Island, is being duplicated in Georgia. It's going to be replicated in other places. We've had a real buildings from the Gullah Geechee Nation go to Washington, D.C., and they're in a the museum. So now we have this digital museumization of African spirituality especially that which comes out of the Gullah Geechee Nation, because we're considered the group that bears the most Africanism still in North America, that still held on to the majority of our African traditions. We do this so we can stay, stay centered, stay balanced, stay healed, stay sane, 
in the midst of the madness that our ancestors were brought into and we're still living through. So it's not a game. That's the difference between religion and spirituality. Religion is compartmentalized. It has structure. It has hierarchy, wherein spirituality is ordered by God. One thing, you, a lot of things you said stood out. Um, one specific was how spirituality was used by the Gullah Geechee people to say, say, and stay grounded over time. Still is used, not still was is. used. Correct. Still is used, yes. Absolutely. Yes. So I'm interested, does that look different for the Gullah Geechee people than it did for other Black folks who just generally don't tie ourselves to any ethnicity except for a Black American? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have seen it look different. I've seen it look the same and look different. It depends on where I am, right? Mm. So say, for instance, with myself and our leaders of the Gullah Geechee Nation, we will not open an event or meeting without pouring libation. Well, I stood with my brothers in Brooklyn. They pour out a little for Mm. the brother or sister that ain't here. That's libation. That's what you call collective consciousness. And so it's within the DNA. It's in that lived experience as Africans in North America who were extracted out of the motherland that didn't just depart from it on their own, right? So we have that connection that shows the similarities, but more often not, people do not pay attention to that. They're always looking to differentiate. They're always looking to say, well, what's different about y'all? Well, what is different is the fact that if I start singing the spiritual here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, everybody else, if I'm the caller, going to know how to respond. They're going to know that next line. They're going to know their line. They're going to know their position. They're going to play it well. I've traveled elsewhere. Folks just stand and they look at you. They might hum along after the third time they hear everybody else doing it. And maybe the real singers will pick up on the verses and they'll start. They know their part. But for the most part, it's as if there's been this disconnect and in some cases fear of the unknown because so many people have not had a consistent place to gather with their own people in other places as Black folks. And that is a problem because we are now seeing that play out in us not recognizing the humanity in one another being so easy to not care about you. Or if you say, peace, peace, sister, peace, brother. I ain't your sister. I ain't your brother. That tells me right there, there is a massive spiritual so many of us disconnect. are disconnected because we don't have what some call now safe spaces for us to gather in consistently. And in the Gullah Geechee Nation, that's what we have. Mm. We have that all the time because you have your land. You can gather under the oak tree whenever you feel like. If you have Sunday, you know Sunday, you going, not necessarily because you want to hear the preacher. You want to see everybody else, you know, on the island. It's, you know, it's a gathering space where you know folks got your back. Because at least if we're praying collectively, we're not harming nobody. And so that, I think, has been taken away from many folks as they journeyed away from the South and as they dispersed elsewhere and got anglicized like I mentioned, even with the language itself. So that language of spirit also got that way. And you become more American than you are African. Or you become something more Western than you are from the motherland. So therein lies a problem for us all as Black folks. We're going to take a quick break. 
More in a minute. What do you think the risks are if things continue to play out in the same sort of trajectory? Because I do see us, like many of us, want to move farther and farther away from our people, from our culture, mm -hmm. from these safe havens you mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. um, so what do you think we risk if that continues to happen? What I've already seen that we risk in this pandemic really, really put a magnifying glass on it is a loss of interconnection with humanity in totality, because we are now emulating our oppressor more than we are seeking spirit. And so, you know, there's a song, how do you feel when you come out the wilderness, come out the wilderness, come out the wilderness, right? It's as if People are not going into the forested areas to reconnect with humanity and with mother nature and then come out as a whole being with their spirituality intact, meaning you're centered in God. Instead, they are going into a wilderness that's like the wild, wild west, mm. where get me, get mine, give me me. I don't care nothing about you. I don't care nothing about these trees. I don't care nothing about none of that. Is this going to get me this money right quick? Let me just do that. So there's no pause. There's no breathing in deeply. There's no respect of every moment, every breath that you take that a brother or sister can no longer take because they've lost their lives fighting for me and you. They are who we call the ancestors who wanted better lives for us. They didn't mean to ignore who you are, to disconnect from who you are as a black person, just because you have other opportunities that connect you to other people's culture. I've always been one that was anti anti saying African-American. My thing is I'm an African in America that is Gullah Geechee because that speaks differently to being some dash between something, some hyphen. As a mathematician, that to me is a minus. I'm not taking away anything. I want to always have things added, you see. And if you seek first the kingdom of heaven, all these things will be added unto you. But that heaven can also be on earth. And that's the part that a lot of us haven't learned because we're not in those spaces to learn it. If you're not with your elders, if you're not in an intergenerational connection and circle and you don't have those elders to speak life into you, then here comes the disconnect. Here comes the rudeness. Here comes the hostility. Here comes the I want to be anything other than who God birthed me to be in the skin that I'm in. And that is not just Black folks' problem. That's a whole gang of people on the earth's problem right now. So it's who are you emulating and who, from whom are you taking dictation? Is it from God or is it from these other confused individuals around you that you're just encountering and bumping into and giving the chin nod up to, you know, a couple seconds a day? Is it your phone that you're addicted to? that's programming you. I'm a computer scientist. So it's actually a PDA that you have. It's a personal digital assistant that you call on the phone. It's programming you. You're not programming it. And so you need to disconnect from that if you want to center and connect to God. I feel like if we don't do that, we will lose humanity. 
And doesn't matter if it's a black person or otherwise, but my major concern is when are we going to get wise? If black people are the first people on earth, there's a reason God made it to be that way. So we have everything we need within our DNA, but we got to tap it. All the things that you mentioned are tempting for folks to, you know, seek out things outside of them instead of, you know, things inside of us, right? You mm -hmm. can look to the outside and just say, okay, this, there's all these distractions that, that oh, pull yes. us away from, uh, you know, actually developing ourselves and our communities. And, yes. you know, one one thing that I think I understand about the Gullah Geechee people is that the culture, because of a greater degree of isolation, was be able, was able to maintain to a certain extent. How much of that is true and what does that look like today? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, there is a large extent to which the isolation factor about being able to maintain our Africanisms played a part in Gullah Geechee's being who we be, because the Sea Islands are disconnected from the mainland. They're literally islands. We're surrounded by water on all sides. So we were here from the 1500s and didn't get bridges until the 1930s in most cases, some in the 1940s, some in the 1950s, and we still have sea islands now that are still disconnected. You have to take boats to get there. So that keeps you isolated and insulated away from mainland thought and action. These islands also were dominated by what Peter Woods called the black majority. So because there were Africans, more Africans coming and more Africans and just indigenous Americans all the way until right around the time of the Civil War. So you're talking about the 1850s and 1860s. All this area was always still dominated by us. And it wasn't until those bridges came in the 1930s that brought in a plethora of other people and usually Anglo people that now, quote, discovered, end quote, these sea islands in another way that felt like, oh, I still want to live on a plantation, but this time I want to have it as a gated area, you know, that kind of thing, and name it a plantation, but it's still that olive gone with the wind experience they're searching for while denigrating us as African people. So you have those things. So when you talk about that isolation factor, it plays a big part because those of us who live still on the sea islands and not the mainland parts of the Gullah Geechee Nation, we tend to know each other a lot more than the ones who are in the urban centers. And so we can still support each other. So if one person's house burns, they feel like all our houses burn. If somebody passes away, Everybody trying to look to go over there and bring food and bring some comfort and check on the folks and that kind of thing. And so that's a very different experience than folks that are even in many of our urban centers tend to have. And so the isolation factor is major in terms of how we were able to continue to reinforce that Africanness and that communal nature as a people and really have that village, as one might call it. In what ways has European culture demonized traditional African spirituality and how can we reclaim that? Well, 
European culture has demonized almost everything about being African, not just the spirituality, while at the same time commodifying it and modifying it. And the unfortunate thing is that there's been so much blending of Hollywoodization of our spirituality that now our children think that's real. They think that's the reality. Like people think reality shows are really not scripted when most of them are scripted. So it's unfortunate that we have millions of people now who can't discern spiritually. They don't have spiritual discernment. So instead of supporting communal living, instead of supporting each other and being there for one another, I see that our youth want to get on every social media platform and try to express that they are somehow some version of African spirituality, a la some type of thriller or Afrofuturism or some other type of film dynamic that they think is the lived experience as Africans. And that is further bastardizing our culture. It's further dividing us, especially generationally, and from those who really do live in the spiritual realm for our everyday. It's not something that, you know, you're just putting on display and you wouldn't do it that way. But the Western world, the European world has said that's okay to do. So if that's the world you've grown up in, you think, oh, okay, well, I, I mean, why isn't it? Why is why is it a problem for me to do this on, on TikTok? Why is it a problem for me to put this on Twitter? Why is it a problem for me to put this on Facebook? It's a problem because then it's not real what you're just selling a commodity. Hmm. The spiritual connection has to be personal. It has to be something sought. It has to be something engaged in. And usually that's done literally on the land in that circle that I mentioned earlier with the elders, with the children. It's intergenerational. It's, it's gender spin the circle of the village, all interconnected on a daily basis, sustaining one another spiritually and being guided by the elders who came before and being guided by those of vision, those who, what we say, carry the mantle. So what has happened instead is any sense that's an individual thing, when some of the Western world's encountered one or two of us and they see something that they've never seen before, they've been a part of something that they've never had happen before, then they want to write a book about it, write a movie, uh, make this into a, a, a script, you know, real quick. And I've been asked many times um, to work on films, work on television shows and do certain rituals on there. And I let them know very quickly, I will do nothing of the sort. Oh, but don't you know about it? I didn't say I didn't know. I told you what I'm not going to do. Um, because when you do carry certain spiritual gifts, just because God gave it to you, don't mean it can't be taken mm -hmm. if it's misused. So that's the thing. And just by the same token, if you're playing with God, as we would say here, whew, woe unto you, because there's a lot of things that end up happening in a negative way in your life. And later you'll be wondering, well, why this and why that and why this? But you're not realizing because you were playing games, like you were trying to do something to sell somebody a traditional, sell somebody a culture. That shows where that European influence came in because they sold people. OK, so if you're only trying to do this because you figure this, get your hustle on moment. Oh, I can, you know, I can tell people, you know, I practice this and just telling folks this stuff online and they sending you money. 
Well, one to you, because who led you to that? Who said that's your calling? At what point was that confirmed by the village? Mm. And if it wasn't, then likely you're not practicing what is Gullah Geechee tradition. You're not practicing what is African tradition. You are doing the European thing, which is individualistic. It's not communal. So which one are you? We don't talk about how many people come from Africa now to the Gullah Geechee Nation seeking out spiritual practices, mm. seeking out culture, because they say they became westernized by missionaries coming to Africa, bastardizing their culture or telling them what they were doing was fetish and that they had let it go. And when they let it go, their communities got corrupted. The villages got destroyed. So now the ones who are blessed to be able to come over and visit us, they're like, oh my God, I remember this when I was little. Oh my God, you sound like my grandma. Oh my God, how do y'all know to do that? Sister, what are you doing there? Oh my God, we do the same thing in the village. Oh my God, you have the same family compound. They are shocked and they come here to get things to take it back. We are not dealing with the fact that colonization happened around the world. It's not just a chattel enslavement bringing people from Africa to the Caribbean or to the U.S. as they call it now. No, people went to Africa and are still going to Africa, telling Africans not to be African, to be more European, to be more Western. Why? Because as I said earlier, they can put it in the box. And if they can put it in the box, they can put it on a page. If they can put it on a page, they can interpret it. If they can interpret it, they can sell it. And so what have you bought into? That's the question you got to answer yourself. That's a good place to pause. More in a minute. I'm interested in understanding, you know, if there are folks who are looking to restore their connection, you've mentioned mm -hmm. this is something that needs to be sought out, right? Need to go seeking. Mm -hmm. um, how, do, mm -hmm. how does one do that if they're not in a community that is embracing that already? Yeah, that's the hard part, right? And But everything that we do in life, we could look at and say, wow, this is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But we still got to push through and get it done if we're going to survive and we're going to thrive. So there's a statement that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Because usually in seeking, you don't say what you are. God brings it to you in vision. And then God leads you to a person who will all of a sudden confirm the vision. You may not have ever met that person before, and you might actually not see that person again afterward. But that person will then come up to you and be like, okay, your name Julian, right? And you're looking like, yeah, you know, but they're like, well, brother, I just want to tell you, God put it on my heart that you are supposed to be the voice for these other young men here. And you need to focus more on trying to reconnect yourself and pray every day, man. You know, I wish you blessings, peace and go on about their business. Now, they've given you a charge to do. Now, if you realize that, hey, that's interesting, that person said, because I've been having a dream that somebody looked just like that and walk, was going to walk up to me. But I could never hear what the person said in the dream. And now this is the same person, same clothes on, same everything. That's a vision you had. But now here is this spirit coming to confirm that vision. You can't go get that. So, I mean, I have people who send us messages on a weekly basis through 
DMs, through Messenger, you know, emails, and seem to get hostile or offended when they're told that's not for you. But see, people carrying a spiritual mantle will also tell you what not to do. But you don't have to listen. We all have free will. The point is when you don't, there's also going to be a result. So spiritual guidance is just that. It's not a class we teach. It's not a, okay, I'm going to hold this event and everybody going to leave here, going to be a prophet or something. That's not real. There's only certain people called to do certain things. We're each in this world with a purpose to fulfill. And we have to continue to seek that purpose daily, but we have to work on it as well. Like scriptures say, faith without works is dead. So to live this thing is what it's all about. And believe me, if you are truly ready to reconnect with spirituality or to engage in spirituality, because you may not have had that foundation in your family, believe me, God is going to lead you to the right place at the right time with the right set of people. We've had many people show up at events, quote unquote, that we were having that thought they were just coming to a festival, just coming to an affair and were suddenly moved, pass out, cry, feel better, be uplifted, recognize something that's in the midst of the ceremony that was spoken just to their soul and their spirit. And I've heard from these people years later and have said how it changed their lives how it changed the path they walked, how they changed their interactions with other human beings. And when that comes from brothers and sisters, I just give thanks to God because it really matters what we as black people do. Again, as I say, being the first people on the earth and black women, there's Lucy from Ethiopia. That's not an irony. That is a truth. The first Christian church is the Ethiopian Coptic church. You think that they found the bones of the oldest woman? Here we go. I'm a scientist. They dated those bones and said the oldest woman's bones they ever found was an African woman. They named her Lucy. I don't know why they named her Lucy. Because I would have named her something else. But they were avoiding saying Eve. Because what if they find some older bones at some point? But they do know this, that we birth civilization. That's the key word, civil, being civil with one another in every nation. So we got to get there. And we don't get there by doing what Europeans have done, rape, pillage, destroy, commodify. We don't get there that way. We get there through communalism. So that's the journey that we got to all see every day, not just in a moment, not just listen to this show. But once they turn this off, I'd rather them go in the prayer closet and pray and let God guide them. They'd be surprised, even you, brother, who are going to walk up and say them words and keep you moving, keep you uplifted. I think uh, most, many of us, like I was raised in the, the Christian church. I know most mm-hmm. of us in America were. Yeah. And, I, you know, I came up with the belief that it was just on, you know, Sundays when church was a thing, or maybe Wednesdays mm. if you had to go to Bible study. Bible but, study. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I think from my understanding, you know, traditional African spiritual system, it was part of life all day, every day. Everything spirit was in, in everything. And, and I'm interested in how you, you see that and, you know, what happens if all of us are able to get in touch with the spiritual systems that have 
you know, been passed down through centuries, mm. you know, how, what, what mm. happens mm. then? Power happens then, liberation happens then, upliftment and true freedom happens then. If we all, especially as African people, earth this power that God has given our ancestors and we earth that power collectively, we can heal the world. Mm. Then we start by healing ourselves. It's, it's really interesting because throughout our discussion, I have been reminded of a recent occurrence at a libation ceremony, but this has happened numerous times to me at libation ceremonies where it was raining. And then I'm saying, okay, Lord, so what this mean? I'm not supposed to pour the libation. You giving it to me. Mm. And then God said, just go and speak. And when I open my mouth and I ask the rain to stop, the rain literally stops. And the entire time that I do the ceremony, there's no rain. But as soon as the ashe, the amen, is said, and I walk away from the circle and the African family disperses, the rain starts falling again. And that's the thing is I believe we are in the time that we are supposed to stop playing, that we are supposed to reconnect with that power and that energy that our ancestors had that made them know they could fly, made them know that they could walk on faith even across water, made them know that there was going to be a day that was greater than the day that they were in when others tried to make them believe that they were nothing more than chattel and that there was no other life that they were to have other than that which somebody else commanded and demanded. I believe that if we collectively work together, we can still harness that power now but we have to recognize who we be. And so that's why in the Gullah Geechee Nation's flags, we be Gullah Geechee anointed people. And we are yet rooted in our traditions, our heritage, our culture, every day, all day, every second of the day. It is about knowing the humanity and all living beings. And all living beings don't just include humans. That means the earth. The earth is a living being. The earth is our family. The waterway is our bloodline. So what is it that we leave to our lineage that are yet come behind? I believe we can harness this power if we do it collectively. Tell me how did you feel when you come, come out the wilderness? Come out the wilderness. Yeah. Come out the wilderness. Tell me how did you feel when you come, come out the wilderness? And just like that, we're at the end of this episode of Black History Year. This podcast is produced by Push Black, the nation's largest nonprofit black media company. At Push Black, we agree with Marcus Garvey when he said, a people without knowledge of their past, history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. And I'm guessing you probably feel that's important too. I mean, you're here at the end of a podcast about black history. You matter. Your choice to be here matters. It lets us know that you value the work. Push Black exists because we saw we had to take matters into our own hands. 
and you make Push Black happen with your contributions at blackhistoryyear.com. Most people do five or ten bucks a month, but every little bit makes a difference. Appreciate you supporting the work. The Black History Year production team includes Tarek Alani, Patrick Sanders, Leslie Taylor Grover, William Anderson, Jerea Bradley, Brooke Brown, Siobhan Chapman, Tabitha Jacobs, Albany Jones, Brianna Lambach, Courtney Morgan, Zane Murdoch, Aquia Tay, Tasha Taylor, and Darren Wallace. Producing the podcast, we have Sydney Smith and Sasha Kai Parker, who also edits the show. And Black History Year's executive producer is Julian Walker. And I'm Jay from Push Black. 